Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So much Travis talk on this episode of the VanCast Rancer. I kind of feel like we should have Yost on just to uh, continue the the theme here. But uh, you and <laughs> you and Dolly Wall have uh, uh, you've you've written a, a new piece that's posted at the Athletic now uh, with info on some info on Travis Green and also uh, the Travis Hamannick talk has heated up again. I guess this is just a product of. We're getting closer, right? Like, we're inside a month now from January 13th, and at some point, things, dominoes are going to have to fall here. Uh, let's just start with Travis Green, because it doesn't sound like there really is a whole lot new there on that front as far as an extension goes. Yeah, like Mike Halford on the morning show tonight today said that I'd written about the Travi, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. Um, the... Travis Green thing is quiet, right? Like, everything seems to be quiet. The Canucks continue to insist that he's their guy and that, you know, they want to get something done. But there just doesn't seem to be much in the way of progress or talks of any kind. And, you know, it's worth remembering. Like, we're not a year out from the expiry of his deal, right? Technically, yeah. we're six yeah. months out, right? Like, this is, this is wild. And... You know, it's so easy in an unprecedented year to get complacent about, like, how big a story a thing should be. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, like, easy to forget, like, if, if a Canucks head coach was still actively employed, having just, you know, overseen this tremendous 1920 season, front to tail, and was six months away from expiry, like, in a normal world, we would be asking every player that question every day, right? Like, that's how we do our jobs, no? Like, we'd be in the locker room, we'd be like, you know, you lost again. What does that mean, considering <laughs> your head coach's <laughs> contract status? 
Um, I don't know why, but I actually moved my mic as if I was moving it to a player following my question, um, which shows you that I need to be back in a rink. Uh, like, it's just wild. And so, you know, we need to, I mean, it wasn't even the first note, like it was our third note down, but I do think it's the most interesting and it's something that's going to dominate, I think, talk ahead of camp, especially with, you know, the fact that this overall cash crunch has caused the Canucks to do a variety of things that I think are forward-looking, right? They didn't trade any assets to get off of money, for example, right? They didn't um, even split their bonus payment over two years. Like, everything's kind of been about minimizing costs for this year and anything that sort of can clear the decks for when fans are back in the building, like, you do that. And in order to sort of have that be consistent, like, don't you need a coach who's going to make and manage their team based on what the club's long-term vision is? Like, don't you kind of need someone who's going to be like, well, we're going to play Demko more than Holtby no matter how they're performing because that's what matters for this franchise in five years. Like, we're going to, you know, blood some of our young defenders here and see what we have in Gaudette in maybe tougher a tougher role, like tougher matchups, and maybe give Pedersen tough matchups. Like, maybe we're going to figure out what we have with a lot of young players and sort of challenge them here as opposed to just eking out every point. Like, don't you kind of need that vision, that alignment top to bottom in a season in which you're essentially, you know, taking a modest step back, I think? Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I'm really struggling to understand it. And I think the only context that can offer any light here is the overall cash crunch that clearly is at an existential level for the club. Right. And... Uh, there's a couple of things that jump to mind. One is, yes, it's going to be a story here. Like, imagine if the Canucks stumble out of the gate and they lose their first, like, four or five games. Like, right. it's already going to be a story, but then it's going to take on a life of its own. But of all the years as well to be going down this road with the lame duck coach, if they're only playing in Canadian City, like, it's going to be questions. Like, honestly, like we've both sat there in Toronto when Travis Green has held court with the media. It's usually on a Saturday, right? And... You know, I mean, 15, 20 minutes, they end up reliving his time with the Leafs. There's always questions yeah. about Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn, and, Pat Quinn yeah. always Pat Quinn. <laughs> so, so after the Pat uh, Quinn questions, you know, he's going to get asked about his contract there. But he'll get asked about his contract wherever he goes because that's just how hockey is followed in this country. So it's yes. sort of like a, there's a double whammy to all of this. It's not just a local story. It's going to be a, a national story. And... You know, like, look, we do the something or nothing, but there's a coach in Vancouver who doesn't have a contract beyond this year. There's a team starting up in Seattle that doesn't have a coach yet at all. Oh, wow. That's funny. That's funny. I hadn't even considered that possibility. Um, I love it, though. I'm, I'm, I am eating what you are cooking, or at least I'm enjoying the smell for now. Continue so you're cooking, to, you're, though. So you uh, let J-Pat cook. A, a small S something? <laughs> Oh, that's a something for sure. That's very much a something. Not a something I'd considered until now, but now I'm considering it, and it's he'll great. be in demand. Like, I, he's not going to be oh, out sorry. of work. No that question. Must... No question. Yeah. So no question. Okay. And and you know, progressive reputation too, right? Like there's there's a lot there's a lot there, and you know that's all the all that said. I still think you put in an agreeable offer. Um, like if an agreeable offer comes, like the preference I think on all sides would be to move forward as a, as a group. Like, I think there's a really strong relationship and mutual belief between him and the general manager. And, you know, I, I think that they'd like to continue to work together. It's just 
you know, this is a weird moment and figuring it out is obviously proving difficult and, and not even difficult. It's just, there's nothing going on there. Like there's no, there's no talks really. There's nothing substantive to report on even. It's just this absence of news that begs an awful lot of difficult questions. And, you know, that's sort of why I ended it, uh, why we ended that section by saying, well, what about Manny too? Like they haven't replaced yeah. Manny Malhotra. Like what's, what exactly is going on here where, you know, a, a super valuable eye in the sky member of the coaching staff hasn't been replaced. And there's not like news about that. You know, usually when you're, there's nothing harder to contain in terms from from a PR perspective than when people start interviewing for jobs because everyone wants to be seen to be interviewing for jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how it works. I wonder on that front, and I uh, this is just me sp- speculating, but if it's a shortened season and they don't want to hire anybody, like, could they fill from within somebody from their, you know, Glenn Carnegie's their skills coach? Could he take on added responsibility uh, during games, Chris Higgins in the player development department, like, you know, are there, is it conceivable for a shortened season that they just look to fill from within? It definitely is. But also, you know, I mean, Malhotra is going to be on the bench. Like Malhotra is going to go run a special teams unit for the Maple Leafs, right? Like for what might be one of the top teams in the country, right? Like it's not inconceivable that, Malhotra will be seen as this rising star in Toronto with like a 23% power play unit clicking along, right? And the Canucks won't have filled that position uh, externally, won't have added hefter talent, especially when, you know, when Malhotra first got hired following the club's playoff success. Like it looked like this moment where, you know, the club was beginning to really sort of develop and, and gain the respect that you know, teams on the come up sometimes do in terms of having their people poached. Like that's the highest compliment you can get in a lot of ways, right? We've seen it with the Patriots and the San Antonio Spurs. Like that's sort of like a sign you're doing things right, right? Developing good people is like a byproduct of team success. And so to not replace Malhotra seems to me to be, you know, these are all little canaries in the coal mine. And and that leads us to Hamannick and... Uh, you know, the likes of Hala and other sort of options that would clearly be high leverage ads for a team that, you know, looks to be competitive in in an all Canadian division, but certainly isn't guaranteed a playoff spot, at at least as the roster stands now. And, you know, I don't think there's a ton of momentum or a ton of interest necessarily in, in making the types of moves that could upgrade this roster, despite the fact that the Canucks are likely to be able to carve out some cap flexibility to improve their team. And yet, are more likely than not. I mean, I'm not saying they will, they're not going to sign anyone. I'm not going to point blank say that things can change, but from today, the vantage point of today, I don't expect them to be particularly busy following, you know, in, in, in the lead up to training camp. And I just think that's fascinating considering, you know, where this club's at, where it's at in its development cycle, the, the leverage, the team's needs, um, how this club's behaved historically. Like, it's such a departure from everything we think we know about the Canucks. And I, I just think that's worth dwelling on and looking at really critically. And and so much of this on the Hamannick front is tied to Michael Furland and his future What's your understanding of, and maybe you know the exact point in time, but like when can a guy be placed on LTIR? Like, would he have to show up to training camp 
and get a physical or can they just make that designation the minute camp opens or is it the start of the season when you declare your roster like when can a guy actually go on LTIR you usually do have to show up for camp like even guys like Pronger and like Marion Hosa will show up usually to Arizona Coyotes camp right like I mean usually you do so but are there special circumstances because of the pandemic where guys won't have to travel or where you're minimizing travel and minimizing sort of non-essential contacts? Like, you know, uh, Furland happens to reside in Manitoba, but if he were a European-based player, would he have to come back quarantine and go through a physical? Yeah. For the pay? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So things this year are so different. And and so usually you can go on off-season LTI. Like, there is a device called off-season LTI, but it's not one that teams prefer to avail themselves of because when you are reactivating guys like it's easier to just sort of hopscotch exactly back the way you came um which is sort of why like Antoine Roussel didn't hit LTI last season until opening day right um so you know it's easier generally speaking to wait until the season begins and then begin to use your LTI uh, or to go into and spend into LTI. But sometimes teams do do the off-season route. There, there's a ton of flexibility. And again, I, I just don't know. Like, there's so much I don't know in terms of the rules. Like, those two graphs in the piece Dollywall and I did projecting the Canucks' cap space if Furland, right? And it's like 2.8 for one, 3.5 for two, or, you know, depending on if they keep Erickson or then, you know, even things like if... Jack Rathbone makes the team as opposed to um, Jalen Chatfield. Like, that's a 200K cap hit gap, right? Like, that matters, especially when you're talking about a team that's got to carry 23 men, presumably, to avail themselves of the uh, taxi squad device, should that come to pass. And should there be a taxi squad that permits you to assign players, you know, above a certain salary level? And on, like, we just don't know. And the Canucks don't know. And no team in Canada knows. Um, we're still kind of just shooting it you know, a moving target here in terms of what the roster rules are and, and how they'll impact the Canucks. And the, the good thing for us, J-Pat, is at some point, you know, I'm going to get a document. Like, at some point, I'm going to get a document. We'll all yep. get a document, and we'll parse it. And there's going to be a ton of fascinating wrinkles to unpack. Um, you know, hopefully not, like, the week of Christmas, but <laughs> at some point. Um, and, and that'll be fun to go through. I'm just having this vision of Drancer waking up Christmas morning and finding a new NHL document under the tree, and it would be like the oh. greatest Christmas gift of all. Yeah, except except on Christmas, it's like all I want to do is like drink. <laughs> yeah, but this year, this, so, year, this year Christmas, come on. Like, honestly, Christmas is just going to be another day this year. Oh, I know. No, I'm still going to drink. I'm just going to I'm just going to yeah, tell you so right just, now. So it'll be another day. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't drink in the mornings usually. <laughs> don't know about you, bud. Hey, can we can we talk about how today has unfolded to this point for the Canucks cuz I just want to I just want to I just want to hit this. So, yeah. It begins at what? 7 a.m. you publish your fan your survey. poll, your fan yes. survey. And you know, mostly positive results. Like, this city filled with homers, um, clearly. Like, every player is going to exceed their highest possible expectations and um, on and on. But uh, some some more negative results from a management perspective, right? Yeah, um, Yep. And then, you know, Rick and I drop our piece on the Canucks' cash crunch. <laughs> sort of going through um, sort of some of the clubs, unpacking some of the ramifications of the clubs, um, you know, uncharacteristic uh, 
spendthriftness this offseason. Um, about half an hour later, TMZ picks up the <laughs> logo uh, cultural appropriation controversy. And about a half hour later, a Ben Kuzma piece in which Jim Benning talks about um, the club's overall, um, you know, sort of efforts to get a working cohort style quarantine, um, you know, approved by the government have, have stalled. Now, I, I don't think that's quite right. Like I talking to yesterday, some of the people who are working on this and checking in with the province itself and the and the health ministry. Um, I do think that the province is reviewing. I don't think there's any necessary reason for skepticism that the Canucks are going to have quarantine issues, but obviously it's going to be a complicated, complicated um, process to go through. And anyway, when you consider all of that news breaking before 11 a.m. Pacific time, <laughs> like, man, you know, <laughs> daps up to <laughs> Canucks PR. I am glad I no longer do that job. <laughs> just dodging <laughs> a few things that are coming flying at them at a yeah, just a like you wake up. Hour. Yeah, you wake up. It's like a oh, quiet December Tuesday, <laughs> and and by noon your phone's on fire. You're just like, oh my god, another one of these. <laughs> I remember those days. Look, the the survey. You're right. The results are out there. People can find them at the TSN 1040 website if uh, they're interested. My, my main takeaway was absolute support for the young core that's been assembled here and still some skepticism about the people that are in control. But you're right. Like, it was the options that were there for Patterson and for Besser and for Hugh. Like, they all, you know, hit the maximum. Like, Patterson, 100-point season. Yes. Uh, Hughes is going to win the Norris before any of those other great young defenseman that he's in that conversation with all the time 77 percent uh, thought Besser would be a 30 goal scorer which you know great like again optimism running wild when it comes to the players one of the surprises for me though was you know of all the playoff uh, accomplishments and I think we talked about this when you sort of did the the survey here on the last pod Horvat's 10 goals in the bubble carried the day on that question over Demko and his 985, uh, Pedersen and his 18 points, Hughes and his 16 points. And in fact, it was Hughes and Pedersen finished third and fourth in the balloting on that specific question. And to me, that just tells you where the expectations are. Right? Like Fans aren't even phased by a guy in his first look at the Stanley Cup playoffs registering a point a game. And a defenseman who had never taken part in the playoffs almost getting to a point a game and it was just like yeah yeah like that's what we expect like the, those weren't considered the most encouraging developments in the playoff <laughs> bubble by 5000 by the majority of 5000 respondents yeah i mean i think they're wrong for me it was for me it was Pedersen. like right. for sure for sure i mean we're talking about a guy who swung games at the net front you know, like this is a high efficiency power play scorer swinging games at the net front, just like living on the inside in the NHL playoffs at 170 pounds. Like what? That's crazy. <laughs> I've, I've almost never seen anything like it. Um, to me, that was not his, not just encouraging, like from a vantage point of like, oh, I'm looking forward to covering these really good players going forward. That was encouraging from a, oh, this guy is really going to win like this guy is it just cares just cares about winning nothing is going to stop this guy from winning and 
that was fun to watch. Like, that's just fun to watch as a storyteller. You know, it's just like, wow, that's, that's insane. You have to be really dedicated. You have to be really brave uh, to play that way. And he did it consistently every shift. I, I thought that, that, well, that blew me away anyway. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we're talking about Pedersen and his playoff performance. We're also talking about Pedersen being the 38th best player in the National Hockey League, according to... <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what was he? He was 46th, I think, or somewhere. Yeah, he was, I mean, yeah. So, they're they're both I... top 20. Like, they're both top 20. I don't know what else to tell anyone. Look, let's get people talking, right? Like, that's one thing lists do. Usually, <laughs> people are Yeah, but hopefully, hopefully they're... No, no. I mean, there's... There's rankings that you could debate, and yeah. then there's bullshit. <laughs> and this just qualifies for the latter. Like, I don't actually want to spend too much time on it, because it's just wrong. It's just not just not right at all. At all. Like, are you t- telling me there's... You have to win a game tomorrow. No contracts. Nothing matters, right? Like, nothing matters except the qualities of the players themselves, right? And you're building a team. It's for the fate of the world. You're playing against invading aliens, right? We'll apply the Bill Simmons test to it. And you're telling me that in filling out a 20-man roster, like if you want to tell me that Quinn Hughes is on the fringes of that roster, I buy it. But if you want to tell me that Elias Pettersson's not one of the 12 forwards you're bringing, I think you're nuts. I keep coming back to this point, though, that I think... Like at the end of the day, I think people look and the people that don't watch him on a regular basis, right? And there are a lot of those people around the NHL, and they see two sixty-six point seasons to start, and they're not impressed or they're not excited about uh, sixty-six points, big deal. Like, and that barely scratches the surface of what he's all about. We know that, and and people in Vancouver know that. But I do that. Like, that's kind of my only explanation for why he is underrated still after two uh, spectacular seasons in the National Hockey League. Is people look at the boxcar numbers and think, yeah, sixty-six points. Lots of guys have sixty-six points. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I think that's a really good point. I think the quiet two-way value things, right? Those don't necessarily show up, or at least haven't yet. And I don't think they... I mean, we talked about this, right? Like, we talked about this when I disagreed with your survey respondents and, and suggested that 40, or sorry, 90 points would be yeah. the would be sort of the cap for him. And, that you know, that's just... That's where he provides value. That's fine. Like, no one should care. I, that's my view. No one should care about Pedersen being ranked 38. It's just wrong. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to talk about it, so we'll we'll leave it at that. Sorry, I mean, sorry. But, I didn't mean to not play along. I usually play no, along. No. I apologize. You, you do. That's fine, though. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, all we're doing is giving merit to people that are going to go, like, search the list now, and they're going to get their clicks, right? Because who else was ahead of them? Totally. Essentially, yeah, that's that's kind of where it is on that. Hey, Blake Wheeler. Why Blake Wheeler th- was ahead of him. Blake Wheeler's 35. <laughs> like, yeah. what? I, Blake Wheeler's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But, man. It doesn't quite fit the narrative of 
uh, Travis Travis, but it's not far off. It's Travis Travis and Tyler. They, the Canucks re-signed Tyler Gravak. I had forgotten that he was sort of out there on the market. But uh, Chatfield last week, and now Gravak, and it sounds like they're interested in Justin Bailey and getting something done there as well. Uh, but you did write about this as well briefly in this column about why it's important that the Canucks are basically just you know assembling as many league minimum guys as possible. Yeah, it could pay dividends. And you look through their offseason work, like Ashton Sautner, Guillaume Brisebois fit the same mold. Brogan Rafferty has the 700K cap hit as well. And I think that'll matter in a world where you have to carry 23 men uh, to avail yourselves of whatever provisional, like COVID specific roster rules are put in place uh, to get the club through the season. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's just one of those things you do proactively, especially in a world where you're building a roster without with uncertain roster rules. It's wild. Um, so, yeah, no, look, the thing about Chatfield and Grayovac, though, or, or especially Chatfield, is, you know, we've talked a lot, or specifically, J-Pat, this is one of your favorite hobby horses, is uh, Alex Edler takes a lot of penalties, right? And so you need that fifth, penalty killing defender like that's a big reason why I think Chatfield and Yolevi guys who've killed penalties at the American League level like in pro hockey are going to have a leg up over Rafferty who didn't really kill penalties for the Comets and Jack Rathbone who's not going to come into the league with defense being his calling card is that if the club's reluctant to play Hughes shorthanded then you really need your fifth defenseman, like whoever is the fifth guy after, you know, or sorry, the sixth guy after Ben Myers, Edler and Schmidt, the four guys you would expect the club to trust four on five, like whoever that guy is, they're going to play a ton of shorthanded minutes and they need to be trusted. They need to be capable of doing that. We know how much Travis Green and this coaching staff prioritizes penalty-killing utility and fleshing out their roster depth. And as I've thought more about the Canucks' positioning and, and Jalen Chatfield in particular, like I do think that's a big reason why him and Yo Levy's names keep coming up as opposed to some of the more... Uh, offensive guys or the guys who are maybe more dynamic with the puck but won't be trusted as much at least from day one in terms of their defensive abilities you probably saw I think everybody saw the latest Nils Hoaglander goal between the legs last week and um, you know this excites me like I I still think he's going to be in tough to make the NHL roster in his first look at hockey in North America but I like the fact that like he got off to a slow start this season over in Sweden, but he looks like he's hitting his stride. Like I think this is exciting for Canuck fans that this guy's going to hit the ground over here running. And I mean, it's so obvious that he does not lack confidence. I don't know if he's going to be able to score those types of goals in the National Hockey League. I know in this fan survey, uh, Canuck fans uh, pegged him to score an NHL goal before Vasily Podkolz and almost by a two to one margin. And he's going to get the first crack at it, obviously. But I just like the fact that uh, after his slow start, he looks like he's rounding into form and he's going to be a ton of fun to watch in this camp. Yeah. And what type of advantage do you think he's going to have from playing pro hockey for the last two months versus yeah, guys time. who've, you Not know, and, and forget the guys like 
your Beagles and Sutters, who at least played playoff hockey as recently as, you know, September, whatever, 5th, something like that. Um, it's the guys like Howerluck who haven't played since March or, you know, that sort of vein of player who is also coming into camp hopeful, but just hasn't played competitive hockey in, you know, almost a year, like 10 months. Yeah. Uh, that's where Hoaglander could have a real advantage. And, and a guy like uh, Mark Michaelis too. I don't think we should sleep on Mark Michaelis as a dark horse candidate. Uh, I think the Canucks have really high hopes. Uh, he's a mature prospect. He's one of those 24 year old prospects uh, as opposed to Hoaglander who's on the young side of 20, right? There's going to be something to watch there, and he's got the contractual versatility of the 700k cap hit. So uh, it's I'm really curious to see how that play out, plays out because that's going to be a storyline to watch for. I think right off the bat is what type of leg up do the players who took European assignments have over the guys who've spent the fall just skating with you know groups of NHLers. Yeah, and we touched on it briefly, too, that, you know, no preseason games, at least we're led to believe now, no exhibition games. So jobs will be won at camp and in those scrimmages. And we sat through summer scrimmages, and it was just great to have hockey back then. And, you know, I mean, they meant something. Don't get me wrong. They meant something then, but I think Travis Green had a pretty good sense of his roster. This is a little different now. And without a preseason, like every on-ice session you would think would mean an awful lot to especially these young guys that are coming in here trying to prove themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's big opportunity too for those guys, right? Like this is such a high stakes camp. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Right. Uh, honestly, it's going to be fun to cover and I think we're going to be in the rink. Um, hopefully we have some clarity and a schedule and stuff this week uh, just so that I don't have to drink and read over Christmas, you know? But I think the fact... The fact that the Canucks are leaning so heavily on all these young players makes me less hopeful in terms of how I analyze their chances this season, but it will definitely make training camp a lot more interesting and a lot more high stakes, especially for some of the players, you know, that we're discussing here, some of the young hopeful guys. You're going to have to fight some fights here because uh, the uh, fan survey People, the majority suggested that it was okay for the Canucks to take a step back. And you made it pretty clear in the last podcast that you wanted none of that. You didn't have time for, for that argument or that discussion. Yeah, no, I but pe- strongly disagree. People are lowering the, they're lowering the bar again. I don't understand. I just don't understand it, J-Pat. I, I, like, I get a lot of this. I get a lot of this in reaction to our piece today, too. People are like, well, what do you expect from the team, you know, in this world right now? Like, every business is going through tough times. And I get it, to some extent, but I also think that fans should be looking at the window that this club has and the last year of Hughes and Pedersen's ELCs, and at the very least, expecting that the club won't cut costs to the point that they lose a key piece or are unable to strengthen the team for the long term through, you know, what's essentially, yes, a severe, but also a short term, uh, like seismic shift in revenue generating ability for, for, as a result of the pandemic. So I, I, I do think that expectation should be relatively high for this club. And that's because 
They've assembled elite talent. Uh, that elite talent is relatively affordable for this season. And, you know, there's no reason this team shouldn't be competitive and, and maybe even top end in this all-Canadian division. And yet, as I look at it, they're a fringe playoff team versus the rest of Canada. Uh, that just, to me, screams that, you know, <laughs> there's there's not a lot that this club would need to be cemented, like to be ensconced safely as like second or third best team in this country. And the fact that people are like, oh, it's fine. Like there's a pandemic. They don't need to, you know, bring in their depth or like bring in additional depth that would help their top end guys succeed and sort of put them over the top. Like that's fine. We don't care. Um, we're just happy that we get to root for these great young players. It's like, why? Don't you want to see these great young players win? Like, I just don't understand it. And I don't think I ever will. I think this will be something uh, I rant about a lot this season. <laughs> I look forward to it. And I look forward to the season starting. And I, and I do feel like we're we're getting close. So maybe by the next time that uh, you and I get together to pod, uh, maybe we'll actually have some concrete answers to some of the things that... You know, we speculated on earlier in this episode. Want to mention a couple of other pot options here at The Athletic. NHL agent Pat Brisson joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on two-man advantage. Uh, I'm sure you read the Russo piece with Mark Parrish uh, about the battles that uh, he has gone through. Yeah, really uh, just terrific storytelling by Mike Russo. Uh, I remember Mark Parrish playing for the Seattle Thunderbirds way back when in his Western Hockey League days. Uh, so it sort of followed his career uh, and I hope that, uh, you know, he's gone through uh, some dark times, but I uh, hope that he's seeing the light on the other side. Uh, he's on a podcast with Mike Russo straight from the source. If you want to hear Mark Parrish talk about uh, his battle with alcoholism. Yeah, that'll be awesome. It'll be interesting to hear his perspective. In the meantime, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And don't forget, if you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash thevancast and receive two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. That'll do it for this episode of the VanCast. Thanks, as always, for listening. And we do uh, appreciate any and all feedback. So you want to send it along. And we'll catch up uh, with another episode of the VanCast coming up soon here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.